The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And it's time for some Smack Talk. Already? I think we need to kick right into the Smack Talk. So here's okay, my Smack Talk it. for you. All right, this, All this right. is some good Smack Talk. So yesterday, I was the unhappiest man at the yeah. happiest place on earth. <laughs> but did you go on Star Tours? That's what I got to share with you. Luke had his first experience on Star Tours. Was he the rebel spy? No, I so Uh, wanted him to be because we were like right in the center. And I was like, maybe they're going to pick him. No, they didn't. Is it a set seat or do they change it every time? You know, I don't know. You need to figure that out. I bet we can Google that and figure out where to sit. (laughs) If you have no idea what we're talking about, I don't know what to tell you. So, all right. Luke has not been tall enough. To ride Star Tours. Jamie thinks, I think he might be tall enough. So the sign says 35 minute wait. I go, hey, man, can can I have him just, you know, size up, see if he's tall enough. And he doesn't understand when they tell him where to stand. So he's like totally standing in the wrong spot. He's literally standing on his tippy toes trying to really. Yeah. And they're like, you can't stand on your tippy toes. And he's like, goes down and he pops back up. <laughs> and he was wearing his hoodie, right? So his hair is sticking up. And I was like, don't push his hair down. Don't push his hair down. I'm like telling that to the guy, you know? And so he's like, oh, he's tall enough. He can ride. Only parents know this. We did the exact same thing on, uh, uh, is it Autotopia? Oh, yeah. With the same exact thing. And had trying to get my daughter to like stand straight. She had a spinal issue and I'm like, she has a spinal issue, you know, <laughs> talking to, the, to the cast members, you know, telling them, uh, and, and she would keep like slouching down or spreading her legs apart. Trying to get a two year old to hold still to do that is not easy. No, no. So he, they said it was a 35 minute wait. It was closer to about an hour and 10. I wanted to kill him <laughs> the time I was done with that <laughs> stupid line. And so, um, Finally, you know, we're walking through and I really detest all the fast passers because they're like, like just going through the line. And, and the rest of us are like second class citizens just having to wait for our turn. I don't want to wait my turn. I just want to go up there and ride the, the ride. It's so, like life all over again. It is like life. It's not fair. <laughs> so we're doing the star tours. And I I realize as soon as we get in there just how small Luke is, <laughs> right? Because he's a tiny kid. And he's sitting in the chair, and so I, I put my arm around him uh, just to make sure he doesn't, like, fly all over the place. If you haven't been on Star Tours, that's not, like, a just sit there kind of ride. Like, that thing's moving all over the place as you're hurtling through space. So, anyway, he loves it, right? Loves it. We leave. We're leaving, and he sees Thor and Captain America. So, he has to go get a picture with Thor and Captain America. Nice. So, we walk up, and I kid you not. The first thing out of his mouth 
we saw Darth Vader. He destroyed us. Because <laughs> if you remember at the very beginning of Star Tours, Darth yeah. Vader comes there and then you got to shoot your way out. So it was fun, man. He's he's going to like The Force Awakens. That's so cool, man. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's Mac talk have you have? Have you thus have? You know, I had things happen this week and I don't remember them. I mean, I almost went to jail in the Bahamas. I talked about that. That was funny. To, to be honest, I a lot of you guys don't realize, but I work for the uh, North American Mission Board and uh, otherwise known as NAMBA. <laughs> they probably don't, they they obviously haven't listened to this podcast, so they'd be saying, uh, please don't mention us on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Don Overstreet was listening to our podcast and he was laughing. Really? He Don like, listens? Yeah. Well, he was with Kirk, his uh, son, okay. and they were they were driving up to Bakersfield and they were dying, man, because uh like we don't know how you get away with that stuff. So uh anyways, it wasn't the, the, it wasn't the Halloween burger. <laughs> no, no, it was it was uh Hulk smash. I won't say what it was, but anyway, so I've been working for them, so um, we took a vision tour through San Diego, took a bunch of, uh, uh, East coast church pastors to San Diego. It was phenomenal, man. I love doing this. And then we take them on a tour. We match them up with church planners. We have the planners talk about what they do. It's kind of like e-harmony for church planners. It's pretty cool. That's interesting. So did you get Disturbing. any money? Huh? Did you get any money? I don't know. <laughs> so, so you I'm guys not in charge of that department. You didn't I'm in the close, wine and dine department. You didn't close the pastors. You know, there was a guy who gives them the final push. So, and I wasn't there on that day. That's not my job. Because I'm just saying. That, well, I mean, if I had a church there, <laughs> I would not leave <laughs> until <laughs> the checkbook was out. It was written, and I am cashing that sucker. Yeah, so you do like uh you do the the trash can thing like on The Apostle. Remember that movie The Apostle no. with uh You know, I oh, never watched it with uh Robert Duvall. Oh, you never seen that? No. Oh, it's a church planning movie. You got to watch it. Well, now I know. They do the they do the trash can thing. There's not enough in here, people. Come on, we need some mo. You know. That's boom. awesome. Oh, dude, trash can and everything. I mean, not not the trash bag, the trash can like the rubber made. Yeah. I got to so, check it out uh, then. Yeah. So, hey, we don't have a lot of time today, so we probably should get – and I don't have good smack talk. I literally will just – You don't, but you know what you were telling me about that book you just read. Oh, yeah. So I got a book in the mail the other night, um, and I actually tweeted uh, J.D. Payne for writing this. I said, thanks for writing a book about me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that, and at first I was like, did someone include him in a book? <laughs> like, it, didn't, it didn't catch with me at first. You know, I am actually in Ed Stetzer's new book, Planting Missional Churches. Now I say new book because it's revised. I'm actually in it. I'm kind of proud of that. That's awesome. It is kind of cool. It's my claim to fame, my Andy Warhol 15 minutes of fame. But the uh, this book, I facetiously said, hey, thanks for writing a book about me because it's called Apostolic Church Planning. Just came out by IVP. Very small. Birthing new churches from new believers. You got to get that absolutely. subtitle in there. There, there are times where I read books and I'm like, this is totally what we talk about on the podcast all the time. Like, this is exactly what I live. And so it's tongue in cheek saying, hey, thanks for writing a book about me. But it's that same thing about planting churches uh, from 
new believers or non-believers, starting with evangelism. He gets the order right. And that is so rare for a guy to get the order right and to say it starts with evangelism, which, wait, I've heard that before. Jump school. (laughs) That's the whole mentality that we approach. And he's very much gunning for a first century style approach to church planning, which for me, man, I just feel like when I hear guys starting to go that way now, when I published Church Zero, nobody was talking about first century style church planning. So it's awesome for me. And he had a, a chapter in there that blew my mind. It was chapter six. And it was the chapter on um, kind of replacing yourself as you go. And I would say if you're a serial church planner or an apostolic church planner, which is what he defines as a guy who plants, but he's not going to stay. Um, the hardest thing is to replace yourself. You and I were just talking about that before, and I'm mm-hmm. still learning that. But he he literally hit it out of the park in chapter six. I had never read that stuff before. I actually read it and went, Thank you, J.D. Payne. I actually understand myself a bit better now. You've helped me understand my role a bit better. So that is probably the highest compliment I can pay uh, to that book. I love it. So um, I actually haven't read the book yet because they actually offered to send me a copy. And I said, nah, send it to Payton. He'll read it. They sent me two. I got an advanced reader copy. Well, then, Yeah, that's what they told me. They go... They go, yeah, I just talked to the PR department. Uh, they already sent one to Peyton. <laughs> I didn't read it though. I, I waited till I got the, the, you know, the fresh, you know, newly minted copy in my hand. Cause the other one, I get these every month, Pete. I get these ones that are like, they're almost like a homework assignment. They're like in these weird binders with like, I don't know, acetate on them. It's weird. So would you say this is a book that people need to get? I would definitely say. You you need to check this out and read it. It's very much give them the um, title of it again, and you can probably pick it up at Amazon.com. Yeah, and- so it's called Apostolic Church Planning, and it is what I believe is actually the future of church planning. And uh, check it out. I dig it. Everybody's talking multiply, by the way, and uh, you can't talk multiplication without talking about apostolic church planning. I personally love the guys who are talking about multiplication who have never planted a church before. They're the loudest voices in the discussion right they now. They are. And they're like, look, I just wrote a new whatever. <laughs> you know, I every time I see stuff like that, I think of that line that you were talking about with, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, what's his name? Kurt Green? What's his name? Is that his name? Keith Green? Keith. There you go. That's it. I'm looking for Keith Green. You know, there's money to be made in Jesus' name or something like that. Like, he he was, like, slamming all these guys. And that's honestly what I think. I'm like, oh, so there's money to be made in church planning. Like, apparently you and I are doing this whole thing wrong because we give away the podcast for free. Well, that's it. I can't tell you the number of times where we've said a bunch of stuff. We're, we're, We're helping church planners. And then I see some guy take the information, package it, and put it as his idea. Like, and he's never church planted. Which is great. It's good. It helped him. But here's the problem. This is what we need to talk about. It would be like you as a marketer going to a a room full of salesmen and teaching them how to market when you've never in your life made a sale. And and the, the reason why I'm a little bit upset about it for church planners is because these guys are going to put their whole lives on the line, their families on the line. They're going to they're going to stick their neck out there and it's irresponsible. It would be like having a jump school instructor who never jumped out of an airplane tell you how to survive. 
And so I get a little bit jealous. I'm actually getting ready to write a blog. I'll probably submit it to some magazines and just say, we need to talk about this because if you've never done it, kind of like Hemingway said, don't write about things you haven't personally experienced because you're actually, you're not helping. What you're doing is you're writing topics to build your platform, which is kind of the, the obsession right now in the Christian church. Um, build your platform, build your platform, even if it means being dishonest and writing as an expert about things you've never done. I remember the first time I wrote a book about giving birth. It was it was a little bit tough. To... <laughs> it was a little that bit. That is tough. the best analogy. It is the perfect. Paul talks about how he gave birth to the current. It would be like you and I writing a book on childbirth. You know, this is how you give birth to a baby. <laughs> got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> Well, hey, before we get into today's topic, which we do need to get into. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by... MoGive. M-O-G-I-V. That looked like it hurt. You look like you're straining on that one. I, I, yeah, I had just coughed, which I muted. I, I actually did notice the mute. So uh, let me ask you a little question there, Peyton. Mm, ask you me. Have you been meaning to get your church started with some online giving? <laughs> Thinking about starting online giving, I have. This is going to hurt. You cannot make it through the whole commercial with that voice. I got water right here, baby. Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? <laughs> <laughs> I even snorted. <laughs> there we go. We'll just we'll abbreviate that one. Yoda? <laughs> Don't make me get cross with you. A better solution is here. It's mogive.com, and that's spelled M-O-G-I-V.com. No E. I thought you were going to say Yoda. Don't make me come over there and spank your little green butt. Yoda, don't make me do the uh, the force choke, <laughs> the Jedi force choke. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> And I'm watching you on the video. That's awesome. You look like the guy on Kids in the Hall. I'm crushing your head. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? <laughs> I crush you. <laughs> I'm crushing you. So if you'd like to get started with online giving at your church, just like Refuge Long Beach has done, New Breed has done, all of the churches that we work with that we uh, like have done, then head on over to mogive.com forward slash church to learn more. I am so glad they don't listen to our commercials. Kind of, kind of, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, cool. So uh, we got to get into today's topic because I know we don't have as much time today. Oh, holy crap, we don't have time. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let me guess. Preaching? Oh, yeah, baby. Episode, uh, is this Eight. No, didn't we do the four? Yeah, yeah, okay. It is. Yeah. And we have, we're flying blind because we don't have a Star Wars movie to compare this to. No, we don't. So uh, let's make up a Star Wars. The next Star Wars film is. What was the name of the movie that came out that had the Ewoks? It was like the family crashed on the Ewok planet. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Ewok adventure, wasn't it? I don't know. Was it? I don't know, but today we're going to talk about the pulpit adventure. There we go. The pulpit adventure. The preparation adventure, it could be, because we're going to talk about preparation. This is probably going to be our final one on it, but 
<clears throat> Before we talk about preparation, I want to talk a little bit about clarity. Um, clarity is really important when it comes to gospel truth. And clarity is best reached by the time you spend in preparation. So, um, you know, that's why Spurgeon, again, I'll quote this where he said, if you, uh, want me to speak for an hour, you know, give me a few hours to prep. If you want me to speak for 30 minutes, you know, give me a day. If you want me to preach for 10 minutes, give me a week because clarity is important. The, the less time you have to communicate, the more you have to make up, uh, for that with clarity. And so like street preaching, you can't preach long as a street preacher. Um, and Spurgeon has a lot to say about this. Um, he calls it, you know, uh, open air preaching. He's got a whole section on it. And he says, every thought needs to be like a bullet. Well, when I read that, I remember thinking, but why just street preaching? Why shouldn't you hone your statements? And sometimes it could be a turn of phrase. It can be an illustration. It can be a word choice that just nails what you're trying to communicate. Um, get used to using a thesaurus. Um, go to thesaurus.com. If you're speaking on freedom, go to, go to the thesaurus, the thesaurus and look up all the different words that you can use. Clarity is very important because you are reaching people's minds and the mind is a powerful deal. If people don't understand you, that is the first barrier. Um, Jesus said that one of the seeds gets snatched up because people did not understand, right? If they don't understand you, the, the word of God is not going to sink into their heart. So strive to be clear, strive to be understood. And sometimes that will be an unconventional, it will lead you to unconventional means. So for example, years ago, I was preaching in rugby. My mentor had a church there and I was asked to go up. They were actually whining and dining me to see if I want to come be a preacher there. And I remember preaching and this, this guy, he comes up to me afterwards and I've been talking about the Ark of the Covenant, you know, mercy and, uh, through mercy and truth is atonement made. And it was Proverbs 16. I remember preaching on that and I'm preaching to lost people. There are lost people that have been brought in and I'm thinking, you know, they're not going to understand Ark of the Covenant. I could explain it and spend five minutes of my sermon talking and describing it and talking about what it was for. Or I could simply in one fell swoop say, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that thing that they opened, that chest, that's what we're talking about. And then boom, picture's worth a thousand words. I just saved myself a thousand words. I had a guy come up to me afterwards and he goes, you know, that many of the people that uh, heard your sermon today would have found you quite offensive for mixing the word of God with a Hollywood movie. <laughs> I just looked at him and go, I wasn't talking to those people. You know, I, I just wasn't talking to them. I don't give a rip. I was talking to lost people. You know, that's what they needed. Was this in Europe? UK? Yeah. 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 Huh. I don't know. I, I would just think that you would understand that I don't know, at least in an area where so few people are churched as opposed to like what it is in the States, you would understand the need for mission. Absolutely. And here's the deal, man. When, when we're looking at things like 
clarity. Sometimes it means that we have to even dress the truth up in language that people understand. Kind of like we've been talking about this a whole time, Jesus using things people understand to communicate spiritual timeless truths. So uh, just bear with me here because it's going to sound horribly liberal at first, but I cannot tell you how many times I have found Bono's uh, illustration of karma to be the best way to yeah. illustrate the atonement. Uh, let me just read it. He, he had a book that came out years ago, and I'm going to get into this, why you guys should read books, or as Pete says, listen to them on Audible. <laughs> you, you need to be gathering which, which stuff. You, you can get a free trial at audibletrial.com <laughs> forward slash CPM. Yes, but I never get those free books. Anyways, so he goes on to say, Bono was trying to explain grace to his interview, Michka Asayas. And without going into the Old Testament, the law of Moses, bonus puts it, bonus, Bono puts it in terms that people understand today. And this is what he says. He says, you see, and I've, I've used this in preaching countless times. You see at the center, particularly for non-church people, you see at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the heart, the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap, you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And SAS says, I'd be interested to hear that, like a good interviewer. And Bono says, that's between me and God. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in some deep crap. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I know I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. And SAS says, the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. I wish I could believe in that. And Bono says, but I love the idea of the sacrificial lamb. I love the idea that God says, look, you Cretans, there are certain results to the way you are, to selfishness. And there's a mortality as part of your very sinful nature. And let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? There are consequences to actions. So what Bono is saying is, is the law is karma. You do bad stuff, you will be punished. You do good stuff, you'll be rewarded. But of course, we can't keep the law perfectly. So he goes on to say, the point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world. So what we put out did not come back on us. And our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's a point. It should keep us humbled. It's our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. And as you go on to read it more, he, he iterates that Jesus took all of our bad karma on himself and gave us his good karma. So he takes our bad karma. People get that. And, and, and I'm not saying I believe in karma as Eastern mysticism teaches it, but it's the principle that people already believe in. Hey, my name is Earl, right? Hey, karma, sorry, I made you mad. You know, the, people are already thinking in our society about karma. Hey, I did that for good karma to come back to me. And what it's saying, you, you, can, you can save so much time and connect with people using a truth they understood. If I was a missionary in a society that believed in karma, you better believe I would use that idea and then say, but on the cross, Jesus took all my bad karma. It's just, it's clear, right? You know, it's funny because 
kind of the way that I relate to that. I mean, and I remember reading that and seeing that interview. Um, love that train. Interrupts your train of thought, doesn't it? <laughs> I remember. Uh, I remember that from from Bono. But there's a line in the Avengers. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna relate this back to uh, to the new generation where they're talking to uh, Black Widow. And she's like, I got a lot of red in my ledger, right? So that's why she's doing good is she's got a lot of red in her ledger. And it's funny because as I think about that in terms of having heard, you know, Bono's take on grace, and I think it's a great way to understand it. um, It just makes me think, okay, if if you got a lot of red in your ledger and you realize you got a lot of red in your ledger, then at some point you've got to come to the conclusion that there's nothing you can do to wipe out the red in your ledger. Yeah. Like, like imagine somebody see, that could be a sermon that would preach right there. You could use that. that. Yeah. It would preach. Yeah. But, but you understand my point though, right? Like at some point you got to realize there's nothing you can do to get rid of the, the red in your ledger. Like, especially imagine you'd killed somebody or, uh, uh, maybe you've assaulted somebody <laughs> How do you get rid of that red in your ledger? You can't. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. You you can't be kind enough to other people to get rid of it. There has to be the sacrificial lamb, the grace of God that saves you. Without yeah. it, you're toast. And and I would even argue that you have to be updating the language because some of the language from past centuries nowadays is actually offensive. Um, for for example. Um, and this is going to sound crass. So look, if you got kids listening right now, I'm not saying this to be crass. I'm saying this to make a point because language changes and, and we have to preach to the people in front of us. A couple hundred years ago or a hundred years ago, maybe even 50 years ago, I could talk about Nehemiah offering an ejaculatory prayer. That was the reference. And today, everybody thinks of something graphically perverted. Would you Would you say that's fair? No, I would totally agree. And I think that that's a, um, that's so important because it actually reminds me of Vince Antonucci. I don't know if it was on one of our interviews with him or, uh, a video I watched of him, but he was talking about how when you're talking to unchurched people, a lot of times you cannot, you can't just say someone's name and expect them to understand. Like if you say Paul, right, we know who you're talking about. They don't have yeah. any idea who you're talking about. So, I mean, it's it, you really have to think about, okay, who's my audience and what are they going to understand and what are they going to take from this? Yeah. Because, I mean, sometimes you really got to explain these things to the Sunday school level. Like, put it back at the Sunday school level. How would you explain it in Sunday school to people who don't understand these terms? Yeah. Years ago, I had the privilege of sitting in on another guy I would consider one of my mentors, probably because he changed the way that I thought about preaching. Um, up to that point, I had only listened to Lloyd Jones, and you know, I, I had this weird thing because I listened to Spurgeon and Lloyd Jones at the same time, and those two were so different as preachers. And yet, you look at them and you think kind of like bookends, like. These are the two greatest preachers of the last, easily the last 150, 200 years. And 
So Lloyd-Jones was very authoritative and um, very dogmatic about how preaching ought to be done. And his preaching and preachers, you read that, and you almost kind of look at Spurgeon like, naughty, naughty Spurgeon, you know, you should you should have read this book. You weren't born yet, but or Lloyd-Jones wasn't born yet, but you should have read this book. But what I came to appreciate as I got older was these two guys were so different. Spurgeon used humor. He was funny. And Lloyd-Jones did not and did not believe in it. Actually felt that it cheapened the message, cheapened uh, the truth, actually got in the way. And so you could not have two more diametrically uh, opposed preachers. Uh, Lloyd-Jones took I think it was something like, I, I don't want to make it up, but I think it was something like 16 years to get through Romans. I'm, I might be wrong on that. It might have been 11. I can't remember. I get rusty on my my DMLJ trivial pursuit knowledge. But uh, Spurgeon preached a different verse every week. And what's interesting about them is Lloyd-Jones like, you always have a text. Um, you always know where you're going to be. You carry people, you know, uh, you know, from one step to the next. Spurgeon, he would read the Bible until it jumped out to him. And he's like, that's what the Spirit wants me to preach. <coughs> and he'd be reading huge tracts of Scripture to get there, to get to that point. And he would write sermons every day. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Spurgeon wrote sermon outlines constantly, and that helped him be able to preach almost uh, at the drop of a hat. So this is kind of verging into preparation, but I, you know, I just I really want to kind of say <laughs> all that was to 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 intro the guy who was kind of like the third wheel um, in my preaching knowledge. I mean, Peter Jeffrey was my mentor. He was he was discipled as Lloyd Jones's protege. Um, I had the privilege of sitting under him. Um, he mentored me. He would he would let me preach in his place. And but there was another guy. And and what was interesting, this guy was a cessationist. So for me, it was it was interesting because I was really suspicious of him when I first heard him. But I went to these lectures Saturday morning, six a.m. Um, he was amazing. He's one of the the smartest people. I talk about meeting smart people in Britain. Well, this guy, his name was Stuart Elliot. Stuart was a pastor at the Bridge Chapel um, during, uh, I think it was like the 60s when he started. Um, He was just paper thin, man. He's one of those guys you see where he's almost reminds you of like a a grasshopper, a cricket. Um, He was just wiry and, you know, kind of had these spectacles and, but was kind of cool, like really cool. He was so stinking smart, but also so down to earth had a wry sense of humor and an amazing wit. And um, again, different, you know, all these guys are so different. But he had this book, you can still get it from Banner of Truth called Ministering Like the Master. But I sat in on, I can't even remember what the name of the series was. It later became a book, but I was there for his lectures. There were eight of them. And the dude blew me away. And I remember thinking then, Spurgeon I know and Lloyd-Jones I know, but who are you? Because you're you're blowing me away right now, and you're making me rethink all the things that that I thought. And so, what I'm saying is, Spurgeon says different things about preaching and lectures of my students and Lloyd Jones, and yet they're both right. And Stuart Elliott came in saying things that challenged those other two guys, 
And yet, Stuart Hollyhill was a phenomenal preacher, and he had things. And so, when we come to preparation. I'm gonna I'm gonna appeal to uh, you know the old uh, know thyself as the golden rule, which is what Lloyd Jones said at the beginning of preaching and preachers. Which, as dogmatic as he was, know thyself was a huge deal. So, all that to say, I, w- I want to just pull a few things about clarity because. It was really Stuart Elliott that kind of said to me, clarity is important. And it was him that first pointed out to me that if you can't amplify what the Spirit is saying, the Spirit will automatically amplify. He will automatically anoint and powerfully support what you say if you are saying what the text says. In other words, if you are uh, amplifying like a megaphone what the Spirit said, the Spirit will put force behind it. Because if you go up there and just give your opinions, the Spirit's like, well, that's great and all, but that's not what I said. That's not what I inspired Peter or Paul or Jesus or whoever it was to say. Um, These things were not what I am already saying. So we believe that the Word of God is Spirit-breathed. So in order to really have that seal of approval on your ministry from the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul says, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, but who rightly divides the word of truth. Um, You have to be accurate, clear. And as you uh, do that, when he says to show yourself approved, well, how is the person in the the pew going to know you're approved? Because the Holy Spirit is going to forcefully drive that truth home. And that's only going to happen as you're clear. So case in point, I preached yesterday at a church. Um, I'm helping out a church called Generation. I'm part of their executive leadership um, over the, the the few churches that they have, but um, I'm not a local leader there. And so I've been kind of filling in for the guys. And then one of the uh, leaders asked me, can you come and actually, you know, preach for me, uh, take the the bulk of the pulpit ministry, which which I agree to, because in my current role right now, it's really helpful to not be uh, nailed down all the time. Uh, but it, it's great for me to be able to uh, preach. You know, I, I still got to kick out the preaching jam. And so it's part of my calling. And so what what happened was I was preaching, and, and now they're a Southern Baptist church. So they like these bulletin inserts that have points that you give to the secretary ahead of time, and they're almost like fill in the blank. So like point one would be like, this verse shows us that, and then it's blank of the blank, you know. And so, uh, you know, uh, yesterday was the first time, I've preached maybe eight times now, and yesterday was the first day where I was like, you know, I'm going to push myself so that I grow, and I'm going to give these points. And... You know, because for me, I've never done that. I've been preaching 20-something years. But I figured, you know, I I can still grow, right? I'm an old dog, but I can learn new tricks. And let's see what happens. Let's see if it screws me up, uh, just throws a major wrench in the gear, or if it improves me. Well, I'll tell you what it did. It helped other people to know where I was going. So I believe, like Lloyd-Jones, that your sermon should have a clear outline and it should uh, be logical, 
from start to finish. It should have a beginning. Like Jesus, he has a bit of a stunner of a beginning, right? The Beatitudes. That's an attention grabber. Blessed are the, and then he inverts the values of what the world thinks. And then he talks about things people really want, reward like peace and, you know, the kingdom of heaven will be yours. And people are going, oh, that sounds so good. So it's an attention grabber. So Jesus grabs people's attentions. He makes zinger statements. I tell you the truth, you know, and then bam, he mic drop. He drops a bomb on people. But he's clear. That sermon, if you really study Sermon on the Mount, it is a very logical sermon. And maybe that's something that that we could do um, just to, to, to walk through as an addendum um, of, of just a quick overview of that sermon. But I don't want to get too far from my point. I'm my own worst enemy here. But the, the reality is that I did one of those bulletin inserts and it made everyone else understand. Like I noticed the difference. So many people came up and said, thank you. They can hang their thoughts on those almost like, you know, pegs for your coat or your hat. It was pegs to hang your thoughts on. So I, I always make great points. I always have a logical flow, but I hide the bones beneath the flesh of the sermon. And so people don't always know where I'm coming from and where I'm going. And that could be my weakness, I think, is I can I can be an, a fantastic preacher, but sometimes maybe not seem. I remember when I was in seminary, the guy goes, fantastic preacher, mediocre teacher. And it was, I think, because <laughs> really on that sermon, he was probably right. But that can be my weakness, is I can be very dynamic, but people may not understand always where I'm coming from and where I'm going. So having those points was kind of like mile markers on a road from one city to the next, where they they kind of knew where they were going, and it was all in the bulletin. When I got to point five, they knew, hey, that's that guy's last point. Anyways, getting to what Stuart Elliott said, I just want to um, talk about uh, a couple of things that he said, um, like for example, he brought up the the, the clarity issue when um, the Ethiopian was on the chariot, and you know Philip's first question is, "Do you understand what you're reading in Isaiah?" And he says, "How can I if no one explains it to me?" So, so understand that part of your job uh, for people to believe is to get them to understand. And part of the way to have them understand is to explain it. So you are, you're largely explaining. So like we said, that seed doesn't fall along the path and Satan snatch it up. But here's the deal. So that's what the birds do. But here's the deal. Um, you also need to um, realize that, that, say, with Ezra, Ezra and his scribes, when he preached from the platform of wood and all the people were there, the scribes moved through the crowd explaining the meaning of the verse so that it wasn't a futile exercise. So if you're not clear and you're not understood, I don't mean to beat the dead horse, you've just wasted a half hour or 40 minutes or an hour, however long you preach. There's nothing worse than a guy not making sense for an hour. So if you're going to not make sense, at least make it 30 minutes. But here's what he says. He says, I was, Stuart or uh, Elliot, he says, I was tempted to call this section accessible vocabulary. Let's travel to first century Palestine. Let's go down to the market. Let's listen into the conversations of the women there as they discuss the prices of grain and fruit. Let's make a note of their vocabulary. What are they saying? What words are they using? What are there any words in the sermon that these women would not have used in ordinary life? 
Let's go to the men who are getting out of the sun and are perhaps standing in the doorway of the carpenter shop. They're talking together while they wait for the carpenter to finish their particular orders. Are there any words in the sermon that would have been strange to these men's ears? So Jesus is amongst people. He's hearing everyday language, and that's how he preaches. And then he says, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon of ordinary words and not academic words, not literary words, not technical words, not sophisticated words, not words used only in a certain sector of society and not old world words. It is made up of ordinary words used by ordinary people in ordinary life. What does this mean for English speakers today? According to a guide published by Sunday Times, this means using sentence where 90% of the words are one or two syllables. This is how ordinary people speak. This is their language. Those who speak or write in another way are not using the language of the people. Using more difficult language may be the right thing to do in certain situations, but it is not the right thing to do in preaching. Preaching is done in an oral style. It aims at being understood. If occasionally it has to use unusual words to explain them, preachers do not use everyday words throughout their message are not ministering like the master. He goes on to talk about using plenty of short sentences and memorable sentences that Jesus used. Judge not that you be not judged. You shall know them by your fruit. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uh, Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You are the light of the world. These are zingers. Jesus is dropping memorable uh, you know, zinger, zinger quotes, pithy sayings, things almost like proverbs that can be can be uh, transferred, that can be taken away and remembered. That is important. The Puritans were masters at this. They would always have pithy sayings. Um, the guy who's uh, amazing for this is Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was an old Puritan. If you want to grab a hold of a work where he does this and models this on systematic theology, find a book. You can find it usually for like a couple cents on on, uh, the internet. Use copy. Well worth your time reading. Um, It's like a seminary education in, you know, 100 and something pages. But it's called A Body of Divinity. And it is the, um, you know, shorter Westminster Catechism. Um, explained. And so check this out. He's taking, um, you know, the Westminster Divines where they sat down kind of like the the Council of Nicaea. And uh, he's saying, look, guys, um, here's how you understand it. It was meant to be understood by common everyday people. He was a pastor and he wanted his people to understand solid doctrine. So he explains it, but he he so does what Jesus does, and that is give people memorable quotes. So all these things are really, really important. Another thing Ollie brings up is repetition. You have to repeat yourself. Like, like Peter, if you really want to make sure people understand, you have to repeat. So keep saying the same things over. Um, I repeat myself in sermons a lot, particularly my main point when I'm making subpoints, because I want people to connect what I'm saying back to the overarching message that I'm saying. So usually in a sermon, I'll have one main point with subpoints um, because I think that if I can convince someone of something uh, really big, so like yesterday, my main point was um, that we can agree to disagree. There are gray areas. Um, so, so given the context, it's Romans where he talks about 
Um, don't judge the weaker brother. And it's before he gets into the point. I took the first nine verses of Romans 14. Um, and, and the main thing he's saying there is, look, uh, the main commandment here isn't what's right or wrong in these gray areas, but how you behave with them. And so that would have been one of my sub points. But the main point was, hey, we don't have to sort this out. We can agree to disagree on these things. And um, and I wanted people to know that. So they'd be mature. They'd grow up. They'd have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments, like Paul says later on to Timothy. So that was my main point. But I, I'll repeat that over and over and over in my sermon. I had zingers out there like, uh, Paul had a don't ask, don't tell policy. I'll say things that really help people. It'll summarize quickly for clarity's sake. And, and, and that's our job, man. That's why I'm saying this all falls within the, the category of being clear. And you know what? We're probably not going to uh, get to preparation today, but that'll be good, Pete, because that means we'll have nine episodes just like Star Wars. And that'll be okay with me. I don't know that they're going to have nine episodes. I think this one's going to flop. <laughs> Did you watch a thing that I put online where it goes, don't ruin this for me at the end? The yeah. honest trailer for the <laughs> come on, JJ Abrams, don't ruin this for me. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's all but, on you. You know, as as we're talking this, please understand what I'm not saying is let the let the pew dictate uh what comes from the pulpit either. Because that is that is what's happening a lot. I would say be careful of your language. Language that might bring mockery or offense or whatever, but also to like, kind of like, and I guess the case in point is kind of like, you know, when you hear your grandparents go back in my day, we thought gay was a happy word, you know, like it, it, language changes. That's why you have different versions of your Bible. You need to be aware of this stuff, but you need to be clear. And being clear is something that, again, like I said, the Holy Spirit is going to He's, he's going to use the clarity. If you're not clear, then people won't understand. And Jesus says that, that the seed will not penetrate. But here's the deal. Um, it, it also means that you don't let them dictate what's preached. And, and what I'm, I guess in a way, I've already had one rant today. So I can't, uh, have another rant, but you gotta preach the hard stuff, guys. Um, everybody, it seems to me like, a lot of the preachers today are young men with daddy issues. They want to be accepted. They want to be liked. And they they don't want to deliver the mail. Uh, you know, they don't want to give people the bills. So like we were talking, you mentioned earlier about the ledger. You have to preach the law. You have to preach the hard stuff, judgment. You have to preach the stuff that people don't want. Let me, let me ask you, what kind of mailman would only deliver the coupons but never the bills? A good uh, one? An unemployed one. He'd get fired. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, he's like, well, I thought that would make you upset. So, you know, I didn't I didn't deliver the the bills because I know that I've heard you cuss before when I'm driving away and you're opening them. And I figured you didn't like those. So I just stopped giving them to you. You know, I don't want to make you mad. I'm a happy mailman. You know, I want this to be a positive experience for you. Um, we've got to preach things that make people squirm. We've got to say hard things, disagreeable things, and believe it or not, with daddy issues or no, you've got to say things sometimes that will make people not like you, right? Hopefully you won't say it in a way that make people not like you, but your content 
needs to be pure gospel. And Paul said that the the cross is just plain and simply offensive. Mm. You know, it's just offensive to people that there's nothing they can do that Christ died for them because they're powerless. And that strikes against man's pride. And when Paul stood before Agrippa and reasoned with him, it says that he reasoned with him regarding the righteousness of God, um, judgment to come, and self-control, or self-control and the judgment to come. Now, let me just back up a second. Paul reasons with him. So when he has a chance to stand before the king, he talks about the righteousness of God, self-control, which obviously Agrippa was not a self-controlled man, and the judgment to come. And it says that Agrippa was extremely afraid and trembling to the point where he dismisses him and says, I'll hear you again later on this matter. And he respects Paul. He cares for Paul. He protects Paul. But he's afraid to listen to him because he's literally gotten the fear of God into him. And, and here's what I always tell young preachers, man. The gospel has teeth. And the church is trying to gum people into the kingdom. The hounds of heaven have a bite. And we need to preach the gospel faithfully because the Holy Spirit has a lockjaw, man. He'll lock on to people and not let them go. But only if we preach the tough stuff. And Walter Martin used to always say it. He goes, he said, I, I once had an old preacher tell me, you know, if they won't receive Jesus, leave them with Moses. <laughs> you know, I love that because what he's saying is, you know, you give them the law, you show them their need for grace, but if they're not going to receive grace, they need to know that hell's real. They need to know that these things are true. And one day we will all stand before God and we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And as Ezekiel says, no blood will be on your head because you, you said the hard things, the disagreeable things. And uh, <laughs> as Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. I dig it, man. That was pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Well, you know, I try, Pete, you know, just a, you know, part-time little podcaster here doing my bit. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask if you ever saw yourself, you know, doing your, your part-time podcasting thing as a, uh, as a math podcaster or a non-math <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> you know, Pete, it's funny that you asked me that because I am not a math person. I am the non-math pastor, you might say. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've run across a resource that I don't know if I've ever told you about this resource before, ever. <laughs> uh, you know, I hear so many resources, um, you know. Th this different. one's called SimplifyChurch.com. And what they do is they make your life simplified. Wow. You know what? That sounds amazing. I've, I So let me ask you, Pete, like what kind of things would they do for me? Well. They would help you with different things such as payroll, bookkeeping, <gasps> insurance, <gasps> workers' comp, yeah, <laughs> all that type of stuff. And you want to know the best part? Their website, simplifychurch.com. Pete, how simple is that? Let me tell you. It's so simple. It's what you might call simplified. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Hey, all I can say to that, Pete, is simplify me. Simplify me now. I dig it. But, you know, that's that's all I got to say on that. Cool. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Hey, w was this the shortest podcast ever? It's like that one year where we did one every day and they were like half hour podcasts. 
<laughs> or episode number 50, which was my favorite episode. Do you remember what the title of episode number 50 was? Uh, episode number 50. It was the one about being episode number 50. And it was the <laughs> only one that literally had nothing to do with church planning. Yeah. Wasn't that the one where we, we walked through our favorite moments? I don't know, but it was like, we were so happy that we were at number 50. (laughs) We're like, this is all about being number 50. I'm a Methodist. We believe that the Lord is our savior and we remember him by going to church and praising him every Sunday. I'm a seventh day Adventist. We believe all the same things that you believe, but we go to church on Saturdays. What? That's one of my favorite sound bites. It is a, a particularly good sound bite. And guys, we're going to talk next week about preparation and uh, not preparation H. No, sir. We're going to talk about preparation itself. And as we talk about that, <laughs> the, the reality is that clarity, as we said before, this is going to just naturally tie in clarity, spend time to be clear. Um, when we talk about preparation, I'm going to tell you about the rewrites I do, um, when I, when I prep and, uh, I am by far not the model, uh, for preparation. I'm going to tell you how I do it, what I've learned, some of the golden rules of preparation, things that everybody ought to do, and then some helpful stuff that I do, but I'm kind of a freak. So you may not want to follow what I do. So, uh, anyways, guys, this has been the church planner podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We want to remind you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Calm down, Italy, diddly, 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 diddly. They did their best, shoddily, Italy, Italy, diddly. Gotta be nice, hostility, diddly, diddly, diddly. Oh, hell, diddly, ding, dong, crap! Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com.